time, this doesn't look as attractive as it once did because you're fixing your eyes on the things of the kingdom. I'm just talking about a thousand that have a vision for their heart. They've got passion for God. They're leading intercession on their schools. They're set apart, consecrated under God. And they've got a vision and a mission for their life. Well, it was awesome. I, uh, Hudson came in uh, for the worship part tonight and worshiping and singing. And I, I, don't, I can't remember what song it was. I'm not very good at songs and remembering any of that stuff. But we're, it's one of those songs and just kind of talking about, or the thought came to me about, you know, God, uh, 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 us, uh, God wanting us to know, know who he is, know his heart for us. And I was holding him, you know, I was like, man, God, I want Hudson to know so much what my heart is for him. You know, I, I, uh, when he was about two years old, I bought a journal, real thick, nice journal, like an $80 journal. It was an expensive journal. My goal is when he turns 18, I'm going to fill every page of that journal with things that the Lord's revealed to me, God's truth, things that he's revealed to me about Hudson. I've bought a journal for each of my boys. And I'm just going to write and fill that up. And when they're 18, I'm going to give them that journal as a gift. And, and because I want so badly, I want so badly for my son to know his father's heart. And I think God's the same way. God wants so badly for his children to know his heart. And I think tonight is just going to be kind of a lesson in God's heart. Somebody a lesson that we're going to learn, that we're going to experience just with God's heart. So when I first started ministry, I was 22, 22-ish out of college, started ministry. You know, in my first two years of ministry were pretty, were pretty difficult. And I want to tell you a little bit of the story. I'm not going to go into great detail. But when I started ministry, almost the day that I started, the enemy started coming against me. The enemy started attacking me in ways that I had never even dreamed of before. I had never thought of before. I grew up Nazarene. Yeah. Yeah. I grew up Nazarene. Dad was a Nazarene pastor. I went to a Nazarene college and no one ever taught me about the spiritual realm. No one ever taught me about the enemy's tactics. (laughs) These guys are still laughing. No one ever taught me about any of this stuff. Can you guys go to the back, please? No, I'm just kidding. So, oh, I forgot. I I need all you guys. Can you guys hear me back there? Can you guys all see me? You're not talking? Why don't you guys, why don't you guys that are sitting back against the wall? There's a whole step right here. I would love to see you all up close. Can you come up for me? Come on, come on. I love you. I want to be close. Come on, first one. That's it. Or find a chair. If there's an empty chair, find a chair. I just need to be close to you guys. I just need to be close. It's awesome. Love you. Appreciate that. Come on up. Come on up. If a couple of my adults could just get everybody up here. Go get them. Go after them. This is great. I love this. I love this. I feel like I'm in my element now. I'm in my element. Hey, I saw, I saw Haley dance. In worship, this girl can dance. I'm not kidding, man. I saw her go. I'm like, whoa, who is that? It's like, oh, that's Haley. She can dance. That was good. Ask her to dance for you sometime this week, weekend. Just let her, you know, that was good. Okay, back to my story. So sidetracked. Okay. So 
became a youth pastor, almost immediately the enemy started coming after me. I mean, the enemy would begin, uh, the enemy started to attack me in a very real, uh, authentic way. It was like, man, when I would, when I would lay down at night and some of you have probably experienced, in fact, every time I talk to a group of students about this, I have several that come to me and say, I've experienced that before. That's happened to me. I had no idea what was going on. It scared me to death, blah, 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 blah. But at night I would, it would be like, I would wake up and I'd be pinned to my bed. I wouldn't be able to speak. I wouldn't be able to move. I would see black masses on my ceiling. I'd watch black shadows move in and out of my room. Saw my door open once by itself and then get attacked. I mean, I saw all kinds of crazy things. I know it was the enemy. I I thought I was going crazy. I really did. I thought I was going nuts. Thought I was going crazy, but it was the enemy. And for the, this happened for like the first five to seven years of my ministry, like mm, 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 just constantly, constantly. Well, here's what it did. Because I was scared to death, because I didn't have a clue what in the heck was going on, it really made me press and push into God's presence. I, in order to survive, in order to not crack, because I'd never learned about any of this, no one had ever taught me this, thought I was going nuts. In order not to crack, there was a, I didn't miss a morning, 6 a.m., on my deck, in the Word. In fact, for those first two years, I was in the Psalms. I couldn't get out of the Psalms. The Psalms were the only place that I found help. They were the only place I found encouragement, promises that I could bite into, that I could hold on to. And for those first two years, as I began to press into God, I became really, really desperate for him. And you know what else it did? And this is where I'm going with this. About two years into this, maybe it was almost three years into this, happening sometimes three times a week, um, not long after I got married, three years into this, I met with one of my mentors. Because it had driven me. Now listen, these first two years of ministry were different for me. These first two years of ministry, I bared very little fruit. Very little fruit. And I'm going to tell you why. Open, authentic, real with you right now. There was sin in my life. There was sin in my life. There were things that I was still struggling with. These were conscious choices that I was making. These were deliberate choices. That I was making. These weren't mistakes. There was sin in my life. Bore very little fruit. Up to that. Almost that three year mark. But. In this process of God allowing. Some of this stuff to take place. Wasn't it in Job where he said. I'm going to allow Satan to sift you. Wasn't it in Job. That's what I felt like. Have you ever seen an old time sifter. You know, the crank, the hand. When I used to make cookies with my grandma, I mean, she would sift the flour and the, and the salt and the uh, baking soda. And she, I mean, it was just, it would grind and sift. And that's what I felt like I was in. Just grinding and grinding and grinding. So those three years made me, began to push me into holiness. It began to push me into bringing my life Wide open before God. And it was about three years into it. I met with a mentor for five hours. We went through, you know, I take our frontline students through break free. I'm going to teach you just a little bit about that tonight. For five hours, I went through my own break free with my wife, with my new wife, who we'd been married like six months. Went through my own break free and began to just confess everything. I mean, he was sitting in front of me. My wife was beside me. I had three intercessors behind me. 
just began to confess and weep and cry. I probably cried for four hours. Because the sifting that God allowed in my life. These things that I, no, I mean, I was scared to death. There were nights that Holly and I would not, we just drove around the neighborhoods. Because we didn't want to go back to our apartment. Because when we walked into our apartment, we felt so oppressed. And we felt so much fear every time we'd walk in there. I'm going to tell you what, man. God will bring you to attention. God will get your attention. He knows how to get your attention. I was in ministry. But he knew how to get my attention. You'd think that he'd have my attention. But through this process, meeting with this mentor, five hours of confessing, laying everything out before the Lord, confessing, not holding anything back. Something changed that night. Something changed. In fact, after that night, people started coming up to me. Like, John, what's different with you? What's so much different about you? I mean, man, I feel like there's so much anointing upon you. I feel like when you preach, there's just so much more anointing. You have so much more power. There's, just, there's fruit just exploding from, from your fingers everywhere that you go. I'm like, well, thank you, you know? But in my mind, I'm like, got real with God. God cleansed me, purified me, removed the sin, and then he filled me with the Holy Spirit. That's really what this weekend is about. It's about being filled up with the Holy Spirit because your life will never be the same. We're going to talk a little bit about that. We're going to have some time at the end tonight to do just what I did. To be real and authentic with God. To lay it all out. To confess. Let's just see what God does. So as Christians... Our lives have been purchased for a price. Do you realize that? Our lives have been purchased for a price and we now belong to God. The price, the price was the blood of Jesus. The price was the cross. It was the shed blood, right down there, got him. Shed blood of Jesus on the cross. And just as the Israelites in the Old Testament belonged to God through a covenant that he made with them, Christians belong to God through the salvation that we experience today. We are God's people now. We belong to him. Rescued out of the clutches of sin, rescued out of the clutches of guilt and condemnation, and we are adopted into his family. So the purpose of this rescue that God orchestrated was so that these human temples, these human temples could be inhabited by the Holy Spirit. Everybody just do that to your, to your chest. These human temples, you are the temple of the living God. These human temples being inhabited by the Holy Spirit. Let's talk about that word inhabited for just a minute. I mean, when you are about to walk onto a beach and you see a sign right there that says shark attacks have happened at this beach. You know what that means? That means the waters on those beaches are inhabited by sharks. Don't go in. Don't go swimming. I might go swimming, but you shouldn't go swimming. Don't go in there. When you go to the forest and you start hearing people saying, hey, you know, we've had a lot of bear sightings, a lot of bears around, a lot of bears in the garbage, bears in tents, bears tearing people, whatever. You know, when we have a lot of bears around, you know, you know, there might be signs that would say, man, these woods are inhabited by Bears. 
That means stay out of the woods. Stay on the road. Stay in your car, whatever the case is. I mean, being inhabited. I mean, inhabited means the very presence of that bear is in the woods. The very presence of those sharks are in the water. For us, the very presence of God inhabits this temple. It inhabits us. So if you remember in the Old Testament days, the temple had, you know, pretty much three areas. It had the outer court, had the inner court, and then it had the Holy of Holies. I mean, it was the inner, inner, inner court. I mean, this was, this was, this was big back in those days. It was in this room called the Holy of Holies that God made his home. I mean, his presence would come in its fullness. It would sit on what was called the mercy seat, which is right between the wings of the seraphim on the Ark of the Covenant in the Holies of Holy. Holy of Holies. Right? That's where God's presence would come. That's where God made his home. That's where God would meet with his people. And when Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, that Christians were the temples of the Holy Spirit, the word he used for temple was not the word used for the outer rooms of the Old Testament temple. The Greek word Paul used was naos. Everybody say naos. Naos. Naos referred to the inner sanctum. It referred to the holy of holies, the place where there was a visible manifestation of the Shekinah glory of God, the fullness of God in that place manifested before man. This is the same word that Paul uses in reference to us being filled fully with the actual presence of the Holy Spirit in us, filled. This right here, this inhabitation of God is what is, is uh, uh, this inhabitation of God in us is what separates us from all other religions on the earth. I mean, Judaism, Islam, Buddhism, none of these religions claim to have their God or gods living inside, inhabiting their followers. The gospel of Christ is different. Faith in Jesus makes us walking miracles. Walking miracles who've been radically transformed through the Holy Spirit, personally dwelling in us, personally living in us. See, God's plan of redemption was that we should live life full of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 18 says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. I kind of like that word debauchery. It just kind of sounds cool. Instead, instead be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the spirit. Now the metaphor here is that we might be filled with the spirit to the point of such fullness that he overflows out of us into the people around us with love and grace. It's a beautiful picture. Let me kind of describe it to you this way. So here we got, this represents your life. Okay, this represents your life. I'm going to put a little junk in there. I had a little green, little green in there. All right, so this represents your life. Now I got it on my fingers. All right. So this is what our life is before God, right? I mean, it's cloudy. It's dirty. It's yucky. It's kind of full of sin. Just making sure it's kind of dirty. <laughs> you guys know what I'm saying. This is your life. Sin in your life. It makes your life dirty. It makes your life dirty. But here's what God does. Here's what God does. God comes. And he removes that sin. When you repent, when you ask for forgiveness, when you begin to just come clean with the Lord, lay stuff out to him, God transforms your life by tearing and ripping all the blackness, all the darkness, all the filth, all the sin, all the bad choices 
begins to rip that out of your life. So he just, he, he dumps that out. That all comes out. Okay? So now, he's forgiven you of your sin. Ooh, there's still stuff in there. I'm getting my spatula. God cleansed it all. Come on. Get out of there. Huh. Oh, yeah, give me some of that water. That's great. This is great. So God comes. He redeems us. He cleanses us. He doesn't have to do this. I mean, it's, it's a sure thing, first time, you know. He, he does it. It's good. Cleanses us. This illustration's backfiring. Okay. So that's what's happened. Our life is full of sin. Thank you, thank you. It's great. Our life is full of sin. He cleanses us, purifies us, takes the sin out. But now what do we do? The sin's gone. He's removed it. But now the house is clean. But who lives in the house? Does the Holy Spirit live in the house? I mean, think of, I think we're going to talk about this later, but think about the disciples. The disciples were followers of Jesus. The disciples were forgiven of their sins, right? But when did they get filled? In the upper room. That's when they got filled. The upper room at Pentecost. When the Holy Spirit came, that's when they got filled. So this is what happens. God removes the sin. He empties you for a reason. Just like the, just like the, the drama illustration in the stool. Who's sitting on your life? He empties you for a reason. Those of us that try to take that stool back, we're not emptied. He empties you for a reason. Then he takes all and he begins to fill you back up. Right? He fills you back up. It is a little yellow. It's supposed to be clear. It's okay. It's close enough. You guys get the point. Quit messing with me. You get the point. All right? He cleanses you. He fills you back up. He fills you back up with his presence. He fills you back up with the Holy Spirit. Because he empowers us to do great things. We can't do anything when we're empty. He's got to fill us up. So sadly, there are too many Christians today who've received forgiveness, the forgiveness of Christ, but haven't fully surrendered their lives over to Christ. Hence, my story. First two to three years of youth ministry. Gave my heart to the Lord. God forgave me my sin, but I hadn't fully given up all of that sin. I didn't let him sit on that stool. I had my butt cheek on the stool. Right? So they want forgiveness. Here's what happens, students. They want the forgiveness of Christ, but at the same time, they don't want to give up control of their life. This is where we find so many young and old alike struggling, trying to live the life God has for them, but living powerless, never really overcoming the habitual sin that so frustrates them. And they end up struggling with the same old sin and find themselves having to go back to God again and again to ask for forgiveness. And there's no doubt that God forgives you again and again. There's no doubt. God's grace, God's mercy, it's more than I could ever comprehend or understand. 
He will forgive you. His mercy will fall upon you. But this is not the life he's intended for you. He wants to fill you fully and completely with the Holy Spirit so that you become the actual hands and feet of Jesus walking on this earth, in this world. It's about being filled with the Holy Spirit and living a spirit-controlled life, meaning you've given up control and completely given control over to the Holy Spirit. You've given up your control. You've given up your future, your present, and your past. And you've given it over to God. Say, God, control me. God, whatever you want, whatever you want me to do, wherever you want me to go, whatever you want to speak to me, whatever you want to do inside of me, whatever you want me to say, whatever you want me to tell, whatever you want me to preach, whatever it is, God, here I am. You've given up control. So being filled with the Holy Spirit and living the Spirit-controlled life means you've given your control up and you've given control over to the Holy Spirit. Here's an example of how important that is. In Acts chapter 6, the apostles had to choose what many have come to call the first deacons of the church. Now, in Acts, uh, in Acts chapter 6, there's a dispute going on between the Grecian Jews and the Hebraic Jews about the fairness of the food distribution system, in particular to widows. The apostles decided to appoint some men to handle the task of food distribution. So that food distribution, we get the proper attention while the apostles continue to focus on prayer and the ministry of the word. That's what scripture says. Now in verse 3 of Acts chapter 6, the apostles said, Brothers and sisters, choose seven men, catch this, from among you who are known, listen, to be full of the spirit and wisdom. Now in my mind, handling, handing out food doesn't seem like it's that big of a responsibility. I mean, come on. I mean, it's pretty much a menial task. I mean, here's a tomato. I mean, what do you want? Here's a head of lettuce. Here, let me get you some plums. You know, whatever the case is, I mean, this doesn't seem like this is a big deal. This doesn't seem like you need to be full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom in order to do this job. But that's exactly what they asked for. That's exactly the people they chose to do this. The apostles felt that being full of and controlled by the spirit was absolutely necessary. An absolutely necessary qualification in order to carry out that simple job. In the New Testament church, even distributing food to widows required leaders who were spirit filled, spirit controlled and full of wisdom. In Acts chapter 2, while the disciples were gathering together in one place, Jesus, like we had talked about before, had already forgiven them. He had already forgiven them in their sins, but they had not yet received the Holy Spirit. So while they were together in one place, the promise of Jesus came, and they were all filled with the Spirit of the living God at Pentecost. Now, I want to point out to you that when the Spirit came upon those gathered together, they immediately began to do something they couldn't naturally do. They immediately began to do something they could naturally do. What was it? They began to speak in tongues. They began to speak in other languages. Yes, the evidence was that they began to speak in other languages to the people of that day, the people who were in that city, the people who were around there. I mean, they were doing something almost immediately that they couldn't do before. 
There's no doubt that speaking in tongues is one of the evidences of the Holy Spirit. But there are many evidences of the Holy Spirit. I mean, how about loving someone you couldn't love before? I mean, that's the power of the Holy Spirit. I mean, how about the Lord whispering in your ear about the person standing next to you, revealing to you, making the unknown known to you about what they're going through, what they're dealing with, and then God downloading into you the life-giving, life-encouraging words to speak to that person. Simple gift of prophecy, evidence of the Holy Spirit. Or how about the fruits of the Spirit? Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There are many evidences, but the point is that supernaturally, you can do things that you couldn't naturally do before. The big deal of Spirit-filled living is that we have to give up power in order to gain a greater power. I mean, how many times in your Christian walk have you come to a place where you struggled to do something, so you just tried harder? I mean, have you ever tried harder to have more self-discipline, to read your Bible, to pray longer? Have you ever tried harder to love that EGR person that is so hard to love? EGR means extra grace required. (laughs) Have you ever tried harder to be more bold when you felt afraid? I mean, have you ever tried harder to stop some habitual sin that seems to keep coming back into your life again and again, no matter how hard you try? How did trying harder work out for you? Not so good. Trying harder never worked out for me. Practicing and trying harder are different. Practicing means you are doing You are doing whatever you're doing with confidence in order to get stronger. When you're practicing the presence of God, when you're practicing reading scripture, when you're practicing listening, when you're practicing any of those spiritual gifts, you're doing it with confidence in order to get better. But trying harder means you feel weak, you lack confidence, and you're going to fail. That's what it means. So Christianity is not a self-effort religion but rather one of relationship which produces might and power of the Spirit through relationship. So the Holy Spirit is the only one that can produce self-discipline, love, and boldness. But to do so, he has to control us daily. Does the Holy Spirit have control of your life on a daily basis? Have you given control over to the Holy Spirit? So you can't live off the experience you had with God two years ago, six months ago, or even last week. This is a daily flowing and living spirit that enables you and empowers you to live the life that God's laid out for you on a daily basis. I mean, every day we wake up and surrender. Every day we wake up and say, God, fill me with your spirit. I want to advance your kingdom today. I want to bring you glory today. Let all of my choices, all my decisions, all of my thoughts, everything I think of, all the words that come through my mouth, let them glorify you today. It's a daily surrender, a daily infilling. Charles Finney was a 19th century Presbyterian minister. He preached a series of lectures on revivals. Once, which has now became a book. And in it, he describes three key points about the Holy Spirit. He says, Jesus promised the Spirit's fullness. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. 
Promise the Spirit's fullness. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So Jesus promises the Spirit's fullness. It is, it is available to us. We can obtain, contain, and grasp the fullness of the Spirit. Second one, he said, Scripture commands Christians to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Commands. This isn't a request. This isn't a suggestion that the author is making. Commands. Ephesians chapter 5, 18. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. There's that word again. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Just as there are commands to love one another and not steal, there are commands that says, be filled with the Spirit. That command is no different. It is expressed, and I'm going to give you just... This doesn't really matter, but I'm going to, it's expressed in the imperative form. If you look at that and you look at the verb, you look at the Greek test, tense, it's the imperative form, meaning it is a command no different than any other biblical command. It's a command. So the fullness of the spirit, third one, the fullness of the spirit is, is a necessity in our lives. When Jesus declared John, in John chapter 15, verse five, apart from me, you can do nothing. He meant what he said. Apart from me, you cannot add value. Apart from me, there will not be lasting impact. Apart from me, you will not leave a legacy. Apart from me, you will not experience and witness the power of the kingdom in front of you. So DSM, when you refuse to yield, when we, feel, when we refuse to yield our lives to the spirit, we miss out on the holy awesomeness of living way beyond ourselves. I said awesomeness because my kids are watching Kung Fu Panda 2. He said awesomeness in there somewhere. I thought it was a good word. So picture your lives like a house with many rooms. All right, picture, picture your life like a house with many rooms. It's like a mansion, okay? Picture your, your life like a mansion. You've repented. You've asked God to forgive you, and he has. But in the same breath of asking for forgiveness, there's a room, maybe two, maybe it's a closet, Maybe it's a couple closets. Maybe it's in your basement. Maybe it's a cellar that you don't quite, you're just not quite ready to relinquish control of. You've given your whole house to God, but there's a couple closets. You've given everything surface, but there's still still some deep-rooted heart issues that you haven't given to God. So you hold on to those areas of your life, not giving control of those areas over to God. You've given him the keys to every room in your life, except that one or two that you've kept hidden or you think that are hidden, but it's really not hidden because God sees everything. He already knows, but you've kept it hidden. Those couple of rooms that you're trying to clean up first in your own strength before you give them over to God, which never works. You don't clean yourself up first. You let God clean you up. You see, God's not going to force his way into you. You have to open the door. You have to open the door to God. Revelation chapter three, verse 20. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. I will have fellowship with him. I will have intimacy with him. I will have relationship with him. This is what that scripture is saying. You have to open the door to those rooms. And allow God to come in. House clean. And then fill. House clean. And then fill. There's a reason so many Christian students are living defeated lives. 
instead of victorious ones. There's a reason we ride this roller coaster of sin confess, sin confess, sin confess over and over again, day after day after day, week after week. It's because we're trying to be victorious in our own strength. We can't do it. In fact, tell yourself right now, just say, I can't do it. I can't do it. Can't do it in my own strength. I gotta have God. Ephesians chapter six, verse 12 says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. The reason we live this roller coaster is because somewhere along the way, we've given the enemy a stronghold in our lives. A stronghold, listen to this, a stronghold is a pattern of wrong thinking. Basically, it's a deception or a lie that we have bought into or believed. Now, this allows the enemy to have an area of spiritual influence or control in your life. Hence the sin, confess, sin, confess, sin, confess. Hence the closets, hence the basement cellar. The things that you haven't given over to God. Because God, because the enemy's got a stronghold on your life. When the enemy has a position of influence, this causes us to live on the roller coaster. Now, the way the enemy gains this influence is through the choices that we make. The choices that you make allow the enemy influence or they allow God to have influence. I'm going to explain it to you this way. Genesis chapter 4. Verses three through eight. There's a great story. It says, in the course of time, Cain brought some of the first fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering. But on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said this to Cain. Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? Here's the key right here. If you do what is right, meaning you obey, will not you be accepted? But if you do not do what is right and you disobey, listen to this. Sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. Now, Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out into the field. And while they're in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Bad ending. Now, I always thought about that passage, and I always wondered to myself, why in the world did God look with favor upon Abel's offering, but look with disgust upon Cain's offering? That always intrigued me. You know, Abel's like this hunter-gatherer dude. You know, Cain's like this farmer, planter, sower, reaper, harvester, whatever. He planted stuff. I mean, he raised crops. You know, and Abel like went out and hunted. So Abel went out, you know, he, he hunted or he, he, he watched sheep or whatever. Anyway, he brought a blood sacrifice to God. Cain goes to his field. Maybe he said, maybe he's got some fresh pears there, man. He's just got some nice looking pears. They're about this big, about this big around. He's like, oh, God's going to love these. Grabs these pears, takes them, and offers these pears as an offering to God. Always wondered why God looked with distaste and disgust upon Cain's. Here's the reason. Cain knew he wasn't supposed to bring pears. The sacrifice that they were offering was for a sin sacrifice. It required a blood sacrifice. They both knew that. They knew they were supposed to bring a blood sacrifice. Cain ignored it 
and brought some crops. Cain knew what he was doing. This wasn't a mistake. This was a conscious choice to rebel against God. Conscious choice. That's why God looked with distaste upon that. Ephesians chapter 4, stay with me. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26 through 27 says, In your anger, do not sin. This is exactly what Cain did. In your anger, do not sin. Do not, do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Everybody say foothold. This is an important word for you to remember the rest of your life. Do not give the devil a foothold. The Greek word for foothold is topos. Say topos. This word topos literally means a place of occupancy. A place of occupancy. All right, so the principle from this passage of scripture is that sin gives the devil an opportunity and opens the door and allows him a place of influence in our lives. Basically, when we make a right choice or sorry, when we make a wrong choice, we crack that door. We open that door to the enemy. He gets his foot in there. I don't have a door. Let's pretend this is a door. Knocking. You're faced with a choice. You're faced with a decision. You know, man, am I going to rebel against God? Am I going to do what I know I shouldn't do? Or am I going to obey God, flee from this, run from this, get it out of my life? And he's like, no, I think I'm going to you know, please my own self and do what I want to do. Rebel against God. You know what happens? That door swings open. Boom. He's got a foothold in your life. Foothold, a place of occupancy. Talk about the closets in your, in your house, the closets in your mansion, the basement cellar. He's got a place of occupancy there. He's got his foothold in there. Do you think he's happy with just a foothold? He's not happy with a foothold. You know what he's going to do? He's going to weasel his way in. Pretty soon, it's not just going to be a couple closets. Pretty soon, it's going to turn into a couple bedrooms. Then it's going to turn into the living room. It's going to turn into the family room. It's going to turn into the bathrooms. It's going to turn into the garages. Pretty soon, he's going to have your life. He's going to take control of it. You're going to be a mess. Your life's going to be chaotic and full of chaos, full of uncertainty. One day, you're going to be an atheist. The next day, you're going to be a Christian. The next day, you're going to be a Buddhist. I mean, you're going to be messed up, mixed up. You're not going to know right from wrong, left from right, because the enemy has had influence in your life. And the enemy in scripture is called a deceiver. He deceives. He's been doing it for thousands of years. He's good at it. Don't think you can outwit him. Don't think you can outsmart him. You just have to out-Jesus him. You just have to out-Jesus him. You have Jesus. Jesus like if, if my little boy was here and Brandon, the stud that he is, was here, I mean, little Maddox would not have a chance if they were going to fight. No, just get, get away from the sappy stuff. It's just an illustration. All right? Because Brandon is way bigger, way more powerful. I mean, he's just like, you know? That's what God can do to Satan. That's what God does to the enemy. Here's the problem. Here's the problem. God won't do that to the enemy if we've given the enemy a legal right to be a part of our lives. If we've given the enemy access, if we've given the enemy influence, God's not going to interfere. He created you with free will. 
You have a free choice. You can choose God or you can choose to go your own way. But if you choose to go your own way, I don't care whether you believe in the enemy or not. I don't care whether you believe in hell or not. He's going to have you around the neck. God's not going to interfere until you ask him to. But when you come to come before him and you begin to lay that stuff out, just like I did at year three into my youth ministry, and I began to come confess and I began to come clean. I began to lay that stuff out before the Lord. He came and rescued. He came and kicked the enemy to the curb. When you give God control, he will take control. When you don't give God control, he will step back and it will be hands off. And the enemy will have a heyday. Are there areas in your life that have not been surrendered? Are there rooms in your life that you're holding on to? I'm going to ask Corey and the band to come. And I want to talk about this a little more, but they can come. And there's a pack of notebook cards, I think, on my chair. Did I put them on my chair? Is there a pack of like 300 notebook cards right there? They're perfect. I'm going to have just some leaders. Now I want you to stay focused. Just some leaders step out and begin to pass these out to our kids. Oh, that's great. Here we go. Listen, the band's going to begin to play. But I'm telling you tonight, there are many in this room. Stay with me. Don't focus on these guys. Look at me. There are many in this room who have not given their hearts or their lives over to God. They have not given God complete control to come in to clean house. Listen, the house has to be clean before the house can be filled with new furniture. The house has to be clean before someone can come in and possess it. Remember that story in scripture? How uh, the dude... Well, uh, they, they cast it out like, uh, I don't know, he was a demonic. They cast it out the demon. And I talked about, listen, the house is clean, but if you don't fill that house, that demon will come back with seven more, more powerful than itself, and that man will be worse off than he was before. Remember that story in Scripture? This is exactly what we're talking about tonight. The enemy's gained a foothold in your life. He's given a, given, he's gained a place of occupancy. And you've got to get rid of that. The only way to get rid of that, come clean with Jesus, repent, confess. And you know what I do? You know what I teach my students to do? Renounce it. Renounce your choices. Renounce being in agreement with that stuff. Do you know that you can open the door to the enemy even by being in agreement with something? Amos 3.3 says, the two walk together unless they have chosen to do so. That scripture is talking about agreement. Even our entertainment choices. You go to a rated R movie and it's full of sex, it's full of swearing. Do you think the enemy looks at you and says, oh, he's just being entertained about it. I know his heart. His heart's all about Jesus. He's just allowing himself to be entertained by that. Do you think the enemy looks at it like that? You better believe he doesn't. The enemy looks at that as if this person is in agreement, meaning this person is actually participating in what is taking place on that big screen. This is how so many kids fall into witchcraft. They start watching movies and TV shows that are so occultic, and the enemy's got so much witchcraft involved in it, they just begin to fall into that. 
They don't even know it. It's a deception. It's what the enemy does. Even being in agreement can cause an open door and allow the enemy to gain a place of occupancy in your life. So tonight you have a card before you. It's a blank. I hope it's not blank by the end of the night. Here's what I want you to do. The band's just going to play. And we're going to spend some time right here. We're just going to spend some time right here. And I want you to ask God to break you. You see, there's a difference between godly repentance and worldly repentance. Worldly repentance is that you're sorry because you've gotten caught. Godly repentance is, I'm so mad at this sin. I'm so angry with myself that I'm going to turn from this sin and I'm going to walk a different direction. And I'm not going to revisit this. I'm not going back to it. I hate it. I hate it. And some of you need to step up and rise up tonight and say, man, I hate this. God, break my heart. Break my heart tonight for you. And I hope there's weeping. I hope some of you cry. Because then I know it's real. I hope some of you begin to confess this stuff and lay it before. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to write it out. Write it out in that card. Write out the secret places. Write out the closets. Write out the basement cellars. Begin to write that stuff out. The stuff you haven't given God control over. Begin to write that out. And then one by one tonight, I want you to present that before the Lord. I don't want you to present the everything at once. Listen, you send each of these individually, you're going to confess each of them individually. We're going to make sure this is done right. We're going to make sure we walk out of here free tonight. Write these things down during worship as the Holy Spirit moves upon your life. We're going to begin to confess those things one by one and hand them over to God. Here's what you do. Say, Jesus, forgive me of this sin. I know this sin did not bring you honor. It did not bring you glory. I've rebelled against you. Forgive me. God, I renounce the sin meaning I reject it. I reject that it has any part of my life. I reject it. I renounce this. Now, God, clean this house. Because tomorrow night, tomorrow night when Pastor Brandon speaks, we're going to have a house filling time. And God's going to fill these houses. He's going to begin to inhabit us. There's going to be a lot of work done tonight. A lot of house cleaning tonight. But I tell you what, I'm way more excited about tomorrow night. For you as young people to walk away from this retreat, fully filled with the Holy Spirit and empowered by the kingdom of heaven. Oh, man. Colorado Springs better hold on tight. Your school campuses better hold on tight. When you get filled by the Spirit, all of a sudden you're all about God's business. All of a sudden we start having some tunnel vision focused on God. We're not focused on what this person's talking about. We're not focused on what that person thinks about you. We're not focused on what we got to do there, what we got to do there. Man, we're focused on God. 
Your kingdom has been made available to me. God, I have access to spiritual gifts. God, I have access to all authority and power in your name. God, I am moving like a tornado on this planet because the kingdom of heaven is behind me. Isn't that what we want? You want to get rid of the boring and the mundane? Get filled with the spirit. Christianity won't be boring anymore. Coming to church, you won't want to sit in the back. You'll be up front at David Perkins' feet because the Holy Spirit's right there. Some of you, I'm really excited to get to know this weekend, but as the registration tonight, some of you I hadn't even seen in my life. I'm like, you need, y'all need to come to church. Get into the presence of God. Get into the family, to the fellowship of believers. Let's do this together. Let's belong to something greater than ourselves. Tonight, God's going to do some house cleaning. And we're going to give him time to do it. Let him just begin to work in your hearts. Let him begin to work in your lives. The Holy Spirit tonight is going to start bringing things to your mind. These are going to be things that maybe you haven't thought about in months or even years. When he does that, write it down. It means there's something going on there. We may not see it, but somehow the enemy has a foothold there. Just repent of it. I don't care if you feel like you've repented of it before. Repent of it again. There's a reason the Holy Spirit brought it in your mind. Write it down. Ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you. Let's pray. We're just going to spend some time. Dear Heavenly Father. Thank you, Jesus, for this time tonight. I thank you, God, that you are the God of all creation. You are our creator. You are our Lord, our Savior. And God, you know how to clean house. Thank you for the blood that was shed. And God, I pray tonight that your blood covers every single student in this house. May your blood cover them. May repentance be spoken freely. Be spoken out loud. Don't repent in your mind, students. Repent out loud. You don't have to scream it or yell it, but say it. You want the enemy to hear it. You want Satan to know that you're repenting. Say it out loud. God, I pray for a movement of your Holy Spirit. God, your presence has been here all night. Your presence was here in a powerful way during worship. God, you are already moving. God, I pray you finish the work tonight. Finish the work of cleaning these houses, cleaning these students' lives. Fill them, God, I pray. Empower them, God. May they have a spirit of boldness and courage tonight to bring those things that were hidden to light, to bring those out, to confess them, to lay them at your feet, God. God, I pray there'd be no shame in this place. There'd be no condemnation in this place, God. Those those spirits would have no access in this room tonight. There is no shame. Just confess it. There is no condemnation. Just confess it. Confess it before the Lord. Let him set you free tonight. Turn from that sin. Walk with Jesus. Experience the kingdom. Experience the power of the Holy Spirit. Clean house tonight. And over time, this doesn't look as attractive as it once did. Because you're fixing your eyes on the things of the kingdom. I'm just talking about a thousand that have a vision for their heart. They've got passion for God. They're leading intercession on their schools. They're set apart, consecrated under God. And they've got a vision and a mission for their life.